I think it's going to rain and it's going to stop. This is I Am a Griefist, a childhood cancer grief journey podcast. We're on. Hi, Mom. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. It's pretty early. I know. It's August, though. So <laughs> but it's worth past. it. Yeah. Because we have a guest on today that reached out to us and wants to share their grief journey with us. Mm-hmm. It's heartbreaking anytime we have a new person, but it's... it's like it's just another opportunity for the folks to be more aware about the effects of childhood cancer and what mm-hmm. it can do to you. So this is someone in the U.S. So we've got someone back in the States on the East Coast. So it's super early for us, but we're so excited for you to be here and to tell your story. So special guest, please introduce yourself and tell us why you're here. Hi, my name is Chris Jerome. And sadly, I lost my 15-year-old daughter to AML, which is an aggressive form of leukemia, when she was uh, 15 years old in 2014. Wow. Wow. AML. So we've had a story on here about AML before. So I wonder, is is this a common thing? Sounds like it's super aggressive, right? Because it isn't... It's supposed to be rare. Wow. Uh, So when you hear leukemia in kids, you often hear about ALL, which is a pretty common, you know, babies up to like age five, I think, are usually the ones you hear diagnosed with that, you know, younger kids. So I mean, obviously you can get it older, but AML is typically an adult disease. It's often That's right. a, That's what she um, said yeah, it's often a, a secondary cancer. So say you've had some sort of breast cancer or something like that as an older person, because of all the chemo, sometimes you will then be diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia. So Anna's diagnosis was a complete shock to all of us. Wow. Well, let's talk about Anna. So take us back to the beginning. What tell us all about Anna? Anna's a twin. She was born 14 minutes after her older brother in April of 1999. I went full term, perfect pregnancy. Every time I went to the doctor, they were just vertex, vertex, test for pregnancy, test for pregnancy. Everything was great. She was the light of our household. She kept everybody in check. She was um, an older sister to her little sister, Emily, who was uh, two and a half years younger. She was definitely, her brother will, his beacon, his light, his guidance mm. um, through school. She kept him on top of everything, kept him in line. She was his keeper, his organizer, his everything. So her diagnosis and loss was devastating to all of us, but I think he probably took the brunt of it, sadly. Yeah. So normal kids, normal, everything was pretty normal growing up. Nothing in the environment that could potentially have caused this. If it was with her, it was probably with Will. So nothing stands out to you about what could have caused it. No. In fact, I had always fed them pretty nutritiously and I tried to, you know, make sure they ate healthy foods. And after her diagnosis, one of the first things she said, but then never bought deli meat and all her friends always had deli meat at lunch. And she just said, but I need meat the meat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because, you know, the nitrates cause cancer. She was very concerned yeah. she could have, when she didn't even have the deli meat. So, wow. Um, yeah. 
Sometimes. No, they went to, I was, I'm a kindergarten teacher. They went to the school that I worked at. I mean, the, the four of us, I mean, my husband would, had a different job, but the three kids and I went to work every day, came home from work every day together. I mean, we were together all the time. So the fact that if it were not environmental, I would assume that the four of us would have been yeah, right. together. Not right. Sure. So, right. Yeah. So yeah. tell us about her diagnosis. What led to that, that you guys found out that she had cancer? So we had booked a cruise from New York to Bermuda and I think it was a Sunday night. We were in New York city spending the night before we took the cruise out and we were at Guy Fury's restaurant and she was rubbing her neck saying, uh, my lymph nodes are swollen. I think I have cancer. I'm like, that's what? what? <laughs> uh huh. The she fact that she even knows her lymph nodes are. <laughs> I know. She's 14. Yeah. She just wrote a book oh. about uh, Pearl Harbor and how, you know, after the bombs went off, people were being diagnosed with cancer. So she, that was, you know, on her mind. And we were all like, yeah, of course you don't have cancer. You know, I'm explaining to her that your, you know, your lymph nodes swell if you're trying to fight up an infection. And right. I'm sure in a couple of days you'd have a runny nose or something like that. And, Sure enough, we're out in the middle of the ocean. On Tuesday, she had a sore throat. And I said, see, that's why your lip nose was swollen. You probably have strep or something. You know, do you want to go see this ship's doctor and we can, you know, get you some amoxicillin or something? She's like, no, no, I'll just wait and see my doctor when we get home. So I was just feeding her Advil to keep the pain away while we were away. And she was sleeping a lot. Like when we went to the beach and stuff, she was sleeping. But I just figured that she was just a teenager and teenagers sleep a lot. Right. I didn't really notice anything extra besides her sore throat and the and the sleeping and so when we got back it was a monday morning i called the pediatrician's office and my pediatrician doesn't usually work on mondays but she happened to be working that day we went in to see her and she said that's not strep that's mono so we'll oh. do some blood work just to make sure that she's a walking case of mono she just looks like she has mono so they ran the blood work and it did not come back with mono came back with leukemia. Oh my goodness. Wow. Yeah. So walk us through that moment of hearing that news and it was it just given to you? Was it given to you and your partner? Tell us about that. No. So we were home. We left the doctor. She came back home. My uh, pediatrician said to, you know, give her a call if I didn't hear from her in a couple hours. So a couple hours went by, I sent her a text and I'm like, hey, just waiting. And she said, you know, why don't you and Anna come back into the office? Mm. Kind of strange, but my kids had never been on a steroid before, and you treat mono with the steroid. Maybe she wanted to walk us through that. I didn't know. My husband was here making dark and stormies, waiting for us to come back with the office uh-huh. and or whatever you get get from mono. And yeah, so my pediatrician Paula McAvoy, she was in her office, and it took her probably about a half hour to get the words out of her mouth. She was like drawing a picture of a di- you know diagram of her blood and all this stuff, she, just trying to work up the words to say it. And she said, uh, she has leukemia. Wow. Go to children's tonight. What was that like for you to hear? It was unreal. <laughs> you know, it's almost like it didn't happen. How could that, how could, she was a total healthy, two days ago, she was fine. She had a sore throat. Why would she have leukemia? Right. You know, and then, you know, my first thought was, this is devastating. But my second thought is, okay, you know, I've seen kids, they bounce, she'll be fine. She'll get the treatment she needs, we'll get through this, and she'll be fine. You know, we live in Boston, so it's a mega of 
healthcare. You mm-hmm. know, how could things not go right? Right. Mm-hmm. So from that point, she spent five months straight in the hospital. Oh gosh. Is that type of leukemia? The other kind, the ALL, is you know you stay in for two weeks and you come back, and it's a long treatment. It's like two years. You go back and forth for, for treatments. This is uh, five months, five to six months straight that she was hospitalized. So we lived at the hospital. Wow. Five months. So if we can back up a little bit, I want to know what it was like to have to tell her because our experience was having to communicate to someone who may not fully comprehend what this disease is and the severity of it. So Anna was of an age where she could, you know, understand a little more. What was that like to share that news with her and then with the siblings? She was with me in the office when her pediatrician told her. So she was terrified mm. after said she had read that book. So she was well oh, aware of yeah. what leukemia was probably more aware than I was wow. to be honest. And when we were in the car on the way home, we just came home to grab a bag. I had to call my husband and say, pack a bag. She was diagnosed. We got to go. And her, her biggest concern for thing was losing her hair. Mm. Like, oh my God, I'm going to lose my hair. I'm going to lose my hair. And she had, hair yeah and uh she was very into her hair and just you know 14 she was very into her appearance and all that stuff so she was very concerned about her hair more than she was the health journey she was going to take and she was worried about you know seeing her friends and once she found out she had to be there for six months i mean she was like i'm supposed to start high school i'm supposed to be a freshman in september i'm not going to be able to go to school i'm not going to be able to be with my friends i'm not going to be able to i'm not going to be able to all these things she wasn't going to be able to do, you know, I think in your situation where you're someone who's younger, it might almost be easier. You can just tell them, get through today, get through today, right. don't see the future. Right. You know, it's very hard to have them know the future and not be able to give them any comforting words. Right. 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 I, didn't, I didn't know the future. Right. Right. Had you had any prior experience to cancer in the family or anything like that to have like a predisposition to what cancer could do or the effects of nothing? Wow. Nothing. There was a a boy in in our town who had ALL. And I remember, you know, that it was, I didn't know that I didn't know them well. I knew of them. And I knew that it was an experience and it's been a couple of years for them to be in the clear, but that's about all I knew I had. And that's pretty much what I expected to her. I mean, we were all completely dumbfounded when we found out we were going to be there for six months, you know, and no one expected that. So did you start Googling? What was that like? I did not. The one okay. thing my pediatrician said when I left the office, she said, whatever you do, do not Google this. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> well, even if they told me it's that, true. I don't know if I, I wouldn't would have. <laughs> yes. You know what? Our pediatrician, I, I love her. She is actually a, a board member for Anna's Pals. She's, mm. she's a fabulous person. And I had complete faith in her. Yeah. So whatever she said, I was on board. And she, you know, was actually a translator for me. We get to the hospital and there's all this medical jargon. Yep. I have no idea what they're yes. saying. And I would yep. call her and say, what does this mean? What does this mean? Can you dumb it down for me? Because I was, you're completely lost, yes. mm-hmm. completely lost, you know? And, and the doctor on duty that night, by the time she got through the, I mean, the ER was expecting us by the time we got up to our 
our room on the blood disorder floor, you know, we were all just exhausted and, and anxious and, you know, not in our right mind. And this one particular doctor kept coming in and, you know, leukemia is a cancer of the blood. Leukemia is a cancer of the blood. I know. Yeah. <laughs> At least that part. Cancer. Yeah. One more time. Stop. She doesn't need stop to talking. Say that <laughs> yeah. Stop. So that kicked off the cancer journey for you. So you had to stay in the hospital for a few months. You lived in the hospital or, you know, what was that sort of arrangement like? It was devastating for all of us, obviously, mostly for Anna. Clearly, my youngest daughter was 12. And like I said, she went to school where I work. The other, the other two had, had moved on to the middle high school, which fortunately was right down the street from the hospital for my son. That really worked out well. But for my daughter, it was her first time going to school alone because I had always been with her the whole time. Mm -hmm. I mean, most kids at 12 go to school by themselves, but she hadn't. And my son, it was the first time he went to school without a sister. It was an interesting September. So I had my husband and I did every other night in the hospital. So one night I was home, one night he was home just to have some sort of normalcy for the other two and anything that we could. I mean, I think if I were away too long, it would have been very weird for them. Uh -huh. But at the same time, I didn't want not to be here for them, but I didn't want to be gone for her for that long time. Right. So I didn't go back to work. I stayed at the hospital all day, every day. And then my husband would come after work. My son would come after school, after practice, whatever. And then my daughter, I would have one of my friends drive her to the hospital. So we were all there every evening. And then whoever was going home that night would take the other two home and the other one would stay at the hospital. So it was quite a haul. And she stayed in school, Believe Anna? Or not, she, they went to Boston Latin School, which is an exam school here. It's pretty competitive, and she still made the honor roll. Wow. Oh, my school. gosh. Wow. Yeah. She had her, her brother, God love him, he would, I switched them. They had never been in the same classes ever. It was just for their own sake, to be their own people. I just feel like for twins, you have to do that and make sure they're whatever. So I switched it so they had the same teachers while she was hospitalized, so he would grab her assignments during the day and then right when the bell rang he'd sprint to the hospital give her assignments and he'd sprint back for practice and then when he came out of practice he would come and kind of give her the rundown of what was going on in those classes and then while he was at practice her friends they call themselves the pals they would all come over after school and hang out in her in her room and they would do homework together too Aww. so that was you know we were very fortunate that the hospital was a block from their high school made a big difference for her socially, mentally. Yes. Well, I'm thinking for me, about. I would look forward to them coming. Yeah, yeah. But I'm I'm mostly thinking about germs. Did you have to manage that because the treatment is so intense that were friends easily and the brothers and the family easily able to come in? They were. They were for her first five month stint because although she was neutropenic. The ventilation at the hospital is very good in, in that ward, so they were able to come in. Um, obviously, one of her friends got whooping cough during that time. She couldn't come. Mm -hmm. She had to stay out. Yeah. yeah. But for the most part, no, they were able to come and go. When she relapsed and had to go in for her bone marrow transplant, that's when everything changed. That's huh. when she couldn't have visitors. That's That was the most isolating experience for her, for sure. But, so yeah, we were very fortunate that... And it's a newer hospital. That part of the hospital is newer, so that all the uh, air ventilation was really good, and they were allowed to. They had to sanitize when they came in, but it was um, fortunately she was able to have guests then. 
So take us through that first five months. It was a normal treatment. What's the treatment like? And then you said relapse. So talk us through that as well. So it was intense treatment. She would have, you know, a week of chemo straight, and then you'd have to wait for that, all the side effects of that to subside before they do it for next round. So it was actually three rounds to get through that five month period. And, you know, each time her wow. counts would bottom out and mm-hmm. she actually went into remission after her first round. So I was like, why can't we go? Yeah. She's good. Let's go. And then yeah. we know we have to finish just to make sure because it's so aggressive. We want to make sure we get it all. So after every round, she'd have to go get a bone marrow biopsy and, you know, which meant putting her under every time. And it was very hard to watch her go through that as a parent and being completely helpless, you know, the nausea, the sickness, the headaches, the mm. one, one round, she had this thing called chemo eye where she couldn't see out of her eyes. Oh my gosh. Uh, they were very dry and hurt and she had to be in the dark room all the time. And that lasted for about a week. That was hard. One of her friends was planning a quinceanera party, but she had been planning it for a year ahead of time so that when the date came, she was hospitalized mm. and she was devastated. So all her friends came to the hospital and the staff dedicated a room for them to get dressed in. Oh. And they all got dressed to the party and they let her out for like three hours. So she was wow. able to go to the party. Wow. And on the way back, it was the most excruciating probably experience that I had through that. She just sobbed in the backseat because she had to leave and her friends were staying. And I think that's when she did the whole reality of her life really set in. This is, this was it. This is, she was sick and she couldn't participate in, in life. Mm-hmm. That was, that was, that was tough. Her numbers came back up. She was able to leave. We left there. We went to St. Jude's for a month for a experimental treat- treatment where they took cells from my husband and they put them into my daughter and those cells were supposed to be alike enough because he's her father alike enough that they wouldn't react in her blood, but different enough that they would be able to find any remaining cancer cells that were hiding somewhere and get rid of them. Wow. Because at that point she was in remission. She was good. Everybody was cloud nine. We're over this. Okay. So what was good, happy, healthy, so this was just a like precaution sort of, you said, procedure to test if, to make sure that it was all gone, to kind of give that like certainty of we're good. Right. Okay. So it was presented to me or my perception of it was it was a way to ward off a bone marrow transplant, you know, ward off a relapse so she wouldn't have to do the transplant route. Okay. You know, if going to Memphis for a month meant she wouldn't have to go through all that. You know, why not give it a shot? It wasn't effective. So she went back to school jan- in January, and she relapsed on February 26th. Wow. And had her bone marrow transplant on May 1st. And she relapsed again on August 8th. Wow. So how did you know that there was a relapse? What did you see, or what did she feel? So... She was very aware of what was going on with her body. As I said, she said she had cancer from her lymph nodes. Right. Um, she had been telling me in February for a couple of days that she just didn't feel right. Mm. And her period came back and it was really strong. And I said, well, you know, you hadn't had it for a while. 
that they have to they had to give her the whatever that shot is to stop it because she can't lose any extra blood mm. because the blood was so thin because of the treatment anyway and i I guess I was a little bit in denial myself, but she wasn't, and she knew. And the school nurse called me and said, you know, Anna really feels like she needs to see her oncologist. Wow. And after after Anna had mentioned it, and I kind of poo-pooed it, I'm like, she's telling the school nurse that she would never have done that on a good day. She must really feel like she needs to go. Mm-hmm. So I, we went, and they took us that day at Dana Farber. We made the appointment. Her doctor was a Wednesday, and her doctor happens to work for one of the days in the clinic. And it was the last, she squeezed us in there at the end of the day, and she didn't come home that night. She went right to the hospital. Wow. I feel like Anna is intuitive. Like, she just, and so intelligent. She knows more. I felt she, like with ours, too, it. it was like yeah, she, she felt it. Yeah. She felt something wasn't right. Yeah. yeah. Incredible. So how how was everyone doing through this turmoil, this relapse, this, hey, we're on a high, we're good, to now we're back down low? She was devastated. I mean, I, I think she knew it, but then having the confirmation was, I mean, she was, we were waiting for the for our room to be ready for us. And she said, well, I guess I have to call the pals. Well, no, I'm not going to be at school tomorrow. Mm-hmm. She made that phone call and it was... It was terrible to have to listen to but in all fairness you know what 14 year old wants to be with their mother 24 7 right you know and she was she was with, and poor thing she was with me 24 7 you know and having her friends come in was such a relief for her a they got rid of me for a couple minutes and b you know that was you know that was some normality for her you know to have her friends around so having that relapse and not being able to go to school anymore and you know not being able to have her friends come in was was really devastating. And, really devastating. And for you, what was that like for you? Horrific. I had befriended some of the nurses in there, some of the, the volunteers, and I, I knew that relapse was particularly that soon. And some of the patients that had been in there and then left and then come back, I knew. Oh, I feel like I need a deep breath after that, just because I, I remember the sinking feeling of something's wrong. Something is really wrong. Where were you getting support through this time? Well, you know, my husband and I were trying to keep everything afloat between keeping Anna sane and I mean, keeping a, a turning 15-year-old on the right track during this turmoil is a challenge in itself. And having the younger one not feeling resentful towards Anna for being sick and taking Anna, mm. you know, you know, in her eyes, I took Anna, Anna took me away from school and took me away from home. You know, Anna was getting showered with gifts. I mean, that was a, yes, yes. a juggle. Uh-huh. You know, I have a, I have a great group of friends and uh, my husband's family is amazing. My mother-in-law was incredibly helpful. She came and, and every time Anna was getting chemo for that three or four days, my husband and I both stayed at the hospital and, and those times my in-laws would come and stay here with the other two and try to keep things as normal as possible here, thankfully. I mean, without them, I don't even know what we would have done. Yeah. Yeah. That family unit is super supportive through Mm -hmm. a lot of this, especially for us, too. So she had a bone marrow transplant. How did that go? It was so hard. So hard. I mean, what they do to the treatment that you get before you can get the bone marrow, I mean, it totally... And she went in the hospital, a, a track star, and 
came out barely able to walk. I mean, it oh totally my messed with her nerves. It, it was just, it was awful. She was incontinent while she was in the hospital. Oh. Uh, you know, for a teenager, that's probably one of the worst things that can happen to you. You know, it's so embarrassing. Even the, even with your mother cleaning you up, you know what I mean? It's just embarrassing. You don't you don't want that. No. It's, it really took a toll on her physically and emotionally. When we got the green light to come home, she was just, she was so happy. And, you know, we really thought we were, we were hopeful that the transplant would fix everything. She had a, it was an unrelated donor from uh, Be The Match. We don't know who it was. We reached out. We haven't heard back. And he, he or she, I think it was a male, gave us those three extra months that we wouldn't have had. My goodness. So, wish it were longer. Obviously. Right. But, you know, that was a, a selfless, selfless gift from a complete stranger. I don't know if we should plug that. Go be a match. Go check it out. I don't know what the process mm-hmm. is. Actually, do you know what the process is? I've We've heard about it, but I don't know entirely what that's about. But I've always wanted to do it. I think they swabbed my cheek. Hmm. And I th- it's, it's non-invasive. We did, when she was in the hospital, our friend group did a uh, be a match drive in our town. And so all the local people went in and, and did that. And I don't think it was evasive. I think they just swabbed your cheeks. I don't think they even dropped blood. I think it's just so quick and you're done. Okay. But what a difference it can make for someone. I would, Absolutely. I would love to do that in Anna's honor. So yes, I've heard to like what she said, the swab to check if you're a match, but when it comes down to giving your bone marrow, it's supposed to be pretty painful because they get into your the marrow of your bone. Mm. Yeah. But right. it's... I think you're in the hospital for like two days and they, you, cause you go under, they go in, they take out cause they have to drill through your bone yeah. to get to the marrow. Mm-hmm. But oh my goodness. I mean, Anna, Anna had it done multiple times and she was oh my God. Right? completely that's what, fine. That's so. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Yes. Was the bone marrow, and this is just my lack of knowledge with it, but was the bone marrow transplant supposed to cure it or is it just to prolong her life? So it's supposed to be a cure. So okay. your blood is made in your bone marrow. That's mm-hmm. where you break your blood. Mm-hmm. And leukemia is a cancer of the blood. Mm-hmm. So if they deplete your body's ability to make its own blood, they put in this donor. So you then make that donor's blood mm-hmm. instead of your own. So the donor is leukemia free and can't make can- doesn't make cancer cells. And the goal is that with this new blood, you will then make the donor's blood and will be unable to create these cancer cells. I see. But it's believed that these cancer cells were hiding somewhere undetected. And so the bone marrow transplant didn't matter because those cells were going to reproduce regardless because they were there somewhere else in the body. Wow. Right. So what they did with the baby, because she did the stem cell, not the bone marrow, mm-hmm. but the mm-hmm. stem cell. So that's, that's your... Stem cells are your own, right? Yes. Yeah. So they, had, they, they took her own. Uh huh. They took her own and then they put them back in. But it was the same thing. They took her down to nothing. They basically like the chemotherapy that they used on her was taking her down, so she has absolutely nothing, and then starting brand new. Yeah. With her like own stem restart. cells. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's like that bone marrow, right? They they just kill everything off and then put in the new bone marrow cells right and then we just don't know we're just yeah. unfamiliar <laughs> yeah i started no, just they, reading they up on totally it totally 
they wipe out your body's ability to make it and then they restart it. They restart it. Exactly. The cells, but they restart it with your own cells instead yeah. of the donor cell. Yeah. Okay. So did they report back on how that went? What was the original report after that? So the original findings was that it was successful. She did take on the, the donor's blood. So she she went in A negative and came out a B positive or something. Oh, I didn't realize it was, yeah. yeah, I didn't think it was like that either. I thought it was still had to be like a blood match too. I thought so too. No. Oh, no. wow. So they do have a checklist of things that have to match, but the the type isn't one of them. Wow. Well, I guess because you, because you make it, right? So it doesn't matter what you're making because you're starting from scratch with their, with That's their incredible, self. right? I didn't know you could do that. So did they tell you why it didn't work, though? What was it? There's just well, no way to... they just think that because that there was, even if there was one cancer cell yeah. hiding somewhere that, that went undetected, and when it came back, it came back strong. Wow. Technology. Oh, that's what they told us with the baby, too. Just, they took her down to nothing, so everything should have been killed off. Everything yeah. should have been killed off, but it's still... There's Somehow. always that one. Somehow. Yeah. yeah. All it took was one. That's all it takes, sadly. So how did we know that it came back? This is a horrible part of our story. So Anna's joy in life, one of her, she was, she was joyful all the time, but one of her biggest joys in life is uh, going to the beach and swimming. And uh, she was on the school swim team. And she couldn't swim because when she was going through her regular treatment, she had the pick line, right? Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. right. when that came out, it was winter. Right. So she wasn't really swimming anyway. And then over the summer for the she was released on May 30th in the bone marrow transplant. So we had to wait for it to be warmer for her to be able to go swimming anyway. But she still had the central line. So she couldn't swim with the central line report or whatever it was in her chest. So it was finally August and she was invited to her friend's beach house and she was going into get that removed and the day it was removed they did her blood test when she came out of the procedure they already had her blood work that she had relapsed but it was after they took the line out wow oh no but the day that she went in to have a be able to regain part of her life we found out that that wasn't going to happen so what was next we went back into the hospital and we were put back in the original room we had been in for those five months before she was happy to see that some of her decoration stickers were still on the wall. <laughs> and we knew it wasn't good. We didn't really know where to go. And her doctors and a couple nurses took us in a room and they just said, this is, there's nothing else we can do. There's no more treatment. It's too early to do another bone marrow transplant. Her body's not recovered. Obviously, she didn't walk still. And there's nothing more we can do. And they said she probably had about a month. A month? What was it like for everybody to hear that? I think I was in denial, in mm -hmm. denial, which is why I'm walking around functioning. I think you know, my husband took it really hard. We didn't tell the kids right away because I had no words for them. And uh, we didn't tell Anna. And we went back and forth about that, having a discussion with her. And, uh, you know, I just didn't want to scare her, yeah. have her think that, you know, what day is going to be the day, why I put her through that. If it's inevitable and it's going to happen why would i torture her by stressing her out about that plus she was so intuitive she knew i'm sure and if she wanted to talk about it she would have come to me with that so we didn't we never had the discussion with her 
Wow. So she came home and they, they put her on some sort of, there was some clinical study going on. And so we opted for that. And uh, that probably gave her another month that she wouldn't have had. And it was mm-hmm. great. She was with that, whatever she was on that day, it was a, it's like a fanny pack she had to keep on her. And she was constantly being infused by whatever it was. And she was totally in remission for the month of September from wow. remission until the la- until like the last few. That's not sure the month of. I'm lying here. I guess three weeks of September she was in remission, and then when it came back, came back gangbusters. And what was it like for you to hold on to that information? Like I said, I think it was in denial. I think that as long as she had that that fanny pack and she was she was good, I thought. You know what? So she has to wear a fanny pack for the rest of her life. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. There are worse things, yeah. you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is good. When she relapsed again, it wasn't good. Are we leading up to sort of her last moment? Is that that time yeah. frame? Well, I mean, kind of how it went, right? I mean, mm-hmm. she relapsed again. And the good thing was while she had that fanny pack, she was able to go to school. So her biggest thing is my other daughter also tested into the exam school. And she was so worried that she wouldn't be able to bring Emily to school. Like that was her. She wanted to, you know, she was sick. She wanted to be in, bring Emily to school. That was her, her focus. She wanted to be in school. She wanted to bring her to school. And with that clinical study, she was able to do that. She was able to walk Emily into her new school for the first time. Mm-hmm. That was that's what she wanted to do. So we made that happen. Wow. She was able to go. She was in school for like three weeks, which is everything she wanted. Yeah. Did she get offered a Make-A-Wish? She did. Early on, during that first five-month period, they offered her a Make-A-Wish and she declined it. She said, no, there are kids who need it more than she does. She has a she has a nice life. So wow. Else. Yeah. What a beautiful soul. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. We started a, a nonprofit and we're looking for some um, pictures of her in the hospital that were troublesome picture you know and there isn't a picture of her that's not smiling she's smiling on every no matter what she was going through she always had a smile on her face yeah yeah but she really she believed that about the make a wish she was no someone else needs it there are kids who are homeless give it to them they were you know or struggling give it to them yeah she just sounds amazing the fact that she's already reading books about cancer and she's like this is what i have like so smart. That was crazy. But so sweet as well. My goodness. <sighs> so do you want to talk about the end of her life? So the kids had always asked for a dog and we would never get a dog. Because I didn't want to clean up poop or <laughs> deal with shedding hair or yeah. anything like that. Yeah. So I always said, if you give me a dog that doesn't bark or shed or poop, you can get <laughs> So clearly we never had one. But after her transplant, she said, can we get a dog? You can have a dog. You can have a Mercedes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And exactly. Whatever they exactly. want. Yes. So she couldn't get a puppy was her, because of, you know they nip and they scratch. We had to get a. We had a rescue dog. It was a year old. She loved that dog for the short time she had it, and she relapsed. And you know we we had to go to the emergency room because she was dehydrated, and that's when we thought that Danny wasn't working anymore. She still wasn't feeling well. She was you know clearly dehydrated. She was, you know, having trouble in the bathroom and she really didn't want to go back to the hospital. And I convinced her, I'm like, we have to go see what's wrong. We have to, you know, 
fixed with whatever's wrong. So we got in there and I've decided that I don't really like residents. I, I like fellows and I like doctors, but the residents are not my fans. I'm not a fan of them. They are I feel like they have their MD and they think they're all that and they haven't really had enough experience with people yet. Right. I think they grow into that. I don't think that's a given when you graduate med school that right. you have great people skills. Yeah. So her blood work came back in and he walked in the room and he's like, oh my God, her white blood cell count is off the charts. Well, we all know that that means that it's leukemia. I mean, we've lived this life and right. she didn't even hear that. And I was so angry. We're at a children's hospital and this is how you come in. I was so angry. So her counts were ridiculous. And did the red flags go off for Anna when he said that? She already knew. That's why she didn't want to go back. Yeah. That's why she didn't want to go. She knew. So the team of doctors came in and took Dan and I aside again and said, this is really it. (sighs) The clinical studies stopped and her counts were off the chart and there's absolutely nothing we could do but make her comfortable. And so with that, we came home and they gave us a choice of either admitting her or taking her home. And she had no desire to be in the hospital. So we brought her home. And, you know, about an hour after we got back, the hospice nurse came. And I told her to take her badge off. And she doesn't need to see your hospice. Take it off. Yeah. <laughs> take it off. And so she spent her last week on our couch downstairs in the living room. And her friends came over every day. And... Did they know? I think their parents were kind of filling them in. So that last week, we told our kids probably about two days before it happened. Mm-hmm. Only because I realized that, it, that there was no hiding it anymore. And I talked to a friend of mine who had lost her mother. And she said, you know, the worst thing, what made it worse is that no one told her. Yeah. Her mother had, had breast cancer. And she said no one told her that this was going to happen. And she knew and she didn't like, it's kind of resentful to this day that people didn't tell her. So I said, we should probably fill them in. So they knew. How was it to have to tell them that? Did they ask questions? It was excruciating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how do you find those words? We, I mean, I think we just basically said that, you know, how she's relapsed and she's gotten better and that she's relapsed and she's gotten better, but she's not going to get better this time. Mm-hmm. And they were, you know, 15 and 12. You know, what do you mean? What do you right. mean? There's nothing more we can do. It's just, you know, she's not going to be with us much longer. But, you know, we were very fortunate that we had her. We were very fortunate that she was with us this time. We were very fortunate that she's, you know, been in our family and we're always going to put a positive spin on this, that we were lucky. We were the lucky ones because she was ours. And that's that's how it's going to be. And, you know, that's just it. My daughter is just screaming. And so that's how that went down. And then, you know, we were all here on that day. The nurse was visiting or the hospice nurse was telling us how it how it goes how your feet get cold first and it travels up your body so every couple hours we were just she was pretty not really with it on monday we had celebrated my daughter's birthday mm-hmm. she had turned 13 she was turning 13 on wednesday but we celebrated her birthday on on that monday my in-laws came and you know i fed anna a little chicken she wasn't really eating i you know she had a bite that was about it she wasn't really doing much She's her friends would come over and she would just lay in, you know, kind of grunt and have a conversation, a word here or there when they were here and then they leave. And on Wednesday they came and Wednesday was Emily's actual birthday. And our priest came and gave her last rites on that day. And he walked in the door and he just started crying and that was really awful for everyone. And then he left and then her friends left. And then she left. 
around 10.45 at night mm-hmm. on Emily's birthday. Oh, my goodness. I have no words. I have no words for that. We have one of the baby's cousin's birthdays the day before, and we always thought that she waited maybe so that we didn't have to have those two days like conflict with each other but then i hear this i'm like there's no way that that was like a choice this is just you know it's strange that i spent so much time thinking about that but i do and i just thought maybe you know she's tied to will because she came in with will and now she's tied to emily yeah oh that's so Uh, sweet that is sweet it is i love that does emily feel the same or is is it hard for her now to celebrate that day so on her stone so it technically was October 1st, but on her stone, we put the second and we kept her in home until after midnight. So it could be the second for her. So she wouldn't have to do that. I mean, that was a very conscious decision we made, you know, to keep her here for that hour and a half just for Emily's sake. So yeah. that, you know, moving forward, she could go any way she wanted to. Yeah. The choice was hers. She could either choose to have it be that day or she could choose it to be the other day yes technically she didn't leave the house until the second second. oh my goodness physically her physical body did not leave the house so i don't know how she'll ever i mean that's i can't do that for her that's something that she has to right on her own Mm -hmm. what was this the services like was exhausting the wait was it was so long it was like four hours of just endless people coming for people that i didn't know people that I've never seen before people who I mean she just touched a lot of people yeah living you know we live in a neighborhood of Boston you know her last you know three years had been spent at a Boston public school so she met a lot of people from you know lots of different neighborhoods so there are lots of people coming through all the people from this neighborhood here you know our family members I mean people flying from around the country coming in I mean it just had a tremendous effect on people. And so then the next day, the wake, and then the next day was the funeral and the burial up for the funeral. How did the kids do? They were stoic, very stoic. You know, and when you're you at the wake, it was like I wasn't even there. I wasn't crying. I wasn't, it's, I'm sure you recall, it's, it's a, just a, you're not even present. Really, you just go into the motions. You don't even, and I end up giving the, the eulogy at the funeral. And again, I really don't think I was present for that either. No, no, I don't. I don't know how you can be. Mm-hmm. I mean, I only remember tidbits, but that was just because like there were certain things we had to do and that's really about it. Yeah. I don't remember even really being there. I wrote, I wrote a eulogy for the baby and it's only because I have it written down that I remember. Yeah, yeah I think that's because it too. Of, yeah. Yeah. And that I was able to get through it because I, I don't mean, even know how yeah. how I got through it. Yeah. What an incredible journey. I think this might be a good time to just take a break. And when we come back, we'll sort of talk through what happens after that. How do we get through these most difficult times? How did you get on with the family and how did we... How do we try to cope through it? So we'll, we'll talk about those things on the next one. Hey, cool kid. Love you.